Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. In our new series, Passionately Pointing People to Jesus, Pastor Kenny talked from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, about the ABCs of evangelism. All right, you guys, we're starting a new series today called Passionately Pointing People to Jesus. Um, This year, beginning in January 1st, we kind of wanted to spend some time in our teaching series this year, really unpacking um, who we are and who we feel like God has called us to be. So we started with a series called This Is Us, and it was really just scratching the surface of some things that were important Uh, identity markers from the scripture of who we felt like God was calling us to to be. And then today we're going to we're going to dig into this five week series called Passionately Pointing People to Jesus, which is one of the taglines of our of our vision statement. Uh, And so basically the idea for today is going to be and what I'm calling it is the ABCs of evangelism, the ABCs of evangelism. And so evangelism, I'll just define that for you. You might have heard that word before, but wondered exactly what does that mean. Evangelism is the spreading of the Christian gospel via public preaching and public witness. In other words, like when we teach the Bible, we're, we're talking about the gospel and we're spreading the gospel when we do Bible studies, but also when we go into the workplace, when we live as neighbors, when we live as as, as friends and family and all of these interactions, these are public witness, but it's the idea is that it's the spread of the gospel via these human things, relational things. We call this evangelism. And so you guys can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 15. And we're calling it the ABCs of evangelism because I hope that what we see in this passage that Paul is teaching about is the A is the attitude of evangelism, the B is a boldness that is required, and the C is the commission of of the fact that we have this, this commission. The attitude that we believe we have at this church is a no neighbor left behind attitude. What Paul is going to kind of shape it as, the way he's going to say it is, it's a heart for the lost. A heart for the lost. The boldness is not just having being an extrovert. You don't have to be an extrovert or an introvert. That's not at all what this is about. It's being who you are. But boldness in evangelism is more about having a confidence in the power of the gospel. It's not, it's not about your delivery. It's about believing that the gospel is powerful and changes lives. And then the commission is that we all have a responsibility and we're called to action. We're all sent on this mission called evangelism. So Romans 10, 1 through 15, we'll start with this, the attitude. So the first thing in your notes is that, that, that God is calling us, Paul is teaching us to have a heart for the lost. And he says that in Romans 10, 1 through 3, he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. So I want to start right there. And and, and the context is is Paul is talking about his fellow Jewish um, people. He's saying, when he says them, he says, my heart 
is for them and their salvation. And then he describes a little bit about them. And that doesn't mean that that does not apply to us. But what, if, in order to apply it, what we need to think about is who is our them? Who are the people that God has put in our lives that he wants us to reach out to? Because Paul is saying that our hearts should bleed for them. Our hearts should be compassionate for them. And namely, our hearts should desire that they would find salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. There's a couple things that we learn in this, in this small section. And I would say the first one is this. In, verse, in uh, verse 1, he talks about the fact that he's praying for them. Prayer is a powerful tool in evangelism. Amen? If you want to have a heart for people and yet you never pray for people's salvation, there's a disconnect there. It might not be that you don't have a heart for them, but Paul is saying, well, then this is how you would apply that, man. Pray diligently for people for salvation. Prayer is a huge deal. And then he says in verse 2, he says, these people, the them, the, these Jewish people, the thing about them is that they have a zeal for God. They do have a zeal for God, but they're but their zeal is misguided, isn't it? And so the zeal for God is what he's basically saying is they're very spiritual people. They're very religious people. And yet something is missing. And that's why his heart is compelled for this. And there's a misconception even in our own day. And the misconception is that as long as a person is sincere and kind, it doesn't really matter what they believe. Because that's what's going on with these people. Is they're, they're, they have a zeal. They're sincere. They're trying to do their best. But it does matter what they believe. Paul's heart is, is, is burnt towards them believing the truth. Discovering the truth that he's discovered in Jesus. And so there's a gospel reality check in this. Where that saying that zeal alone can't save you. Being sincere or authentic alone can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the grace that He's given us. It's a free gift. And what's required of us is that we believe, that we have faith. Paul desires that these people would gain the faith that he's gained by discovering who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus has promised and that they would put their faith in this Jesus and receive the gift of grace that he's received and that they would find salvation. So these people have zeal. They are being authentic Jews, but they don't know Jesus and he wants them to. And then let her see in this kind of section is, and it comes in verse 2, you notice he says they have a knowledge, right? They have a knowledge, but their knowledge is lacking. Their, spirit, uh, their, their spirituality is not according to knowledge is what he says. They have zeal, but their spirituality is not according to knowledge. Now here's something interesting. When you look at the Greek, the, this is translated from Greek. Normally, in Greek, when you were to say knowledge, you would use the word gnosis with the silent G. Gnosis means, means knowledge. It means like 
like understanding facts. If you went on Wikipedia and, and learned some things about any topic, you would gain some gnosis, some information. But he's saying, uh, he's not saying that they don't have gnosis. It's not the word he uses. He's not saying they don't know anything. They don't, ha- they don't think they're right. They have a lot of information. They have a lot of knowledge. They know all about what, what Jewish people traditionally knew about. They had spent their whole lives studying. And they knew, they had knowledge, they had gnosis. But what he uses, he says, they're, they're lacking epignosis. And what he's talking about is the truth that Jesus brought. He's saying they're lacking knowledge, they're lacking, they're lacking epignosis, they're lacking the truth about Jesus, they're, li- they're lacking the truth of God that Jesus came to bring correction about. So they're lacking something, they're lacking the, the, the truth. And this is why we need to pray, by the way. Because only the Holy Spirit, only God, can illuminate the truth in our hearts. When when people read the Bible, it's just another source of gnosis to them until it becomes epignosis when the Holy Spirit helps them see this is true. This is the truth. So Paul is saying, I have this burning heart for my people. They think they're right. They think they're, they're, they're so sincere. And yet they're lost because they don't know the truth. And I'm going to pray for them because they need Jesus to come make himself known to them through his word and through our public display, our, our public witness, and through my preaching. So he has this heart for them. And then the last thing in this section is he says, is there's two different kinds of righteousness, aren't there? He says, they don't have the righteousness that comes from faith. They trust in their own righteousness. And so, there's two types of righteousness in the Scriptures. It says they're ignorant of the righteousness of God, and they attempt to establish their own righteousness. Human righteousness, as sincere as it tries to be, is always stained. It's always imperfect. No matter how much we try to be kind, it will always be imperfect. Now, if we compare it to each other, you might think, man, I'm super kind compared to those people. But if you were to compare yourself to God's righteousness, which often is called holiness, you would fall so short of this. Last Easter, we did a a little a test where we gave a bunch of our young athletes uh, a, a sticky note and we had them go over to the wall and jump as high as they could. I don't know if you guys remember that if you were here and put their sticky note on the wall and whoever got the highest got a reward. We said, wow, somebody got the highest. But what if we said, no, you're no longer competing against each other. The way to get the reward is you have to jump up and put this sticky note on the moon. Who's going to win that? That's the difference between human righteousness. No matter how much we attempt to do it, we might go higher than the next person, but we're going to fall so short of God's righteousness. And that's what he's saying is, is they're not trusting in where they're at as in compared to God's righteousness. They're trusting in where they're at in compared to their neighbors, their own righteousness, their own set of rules. So Paul's passionate about evangelism because of their because salvation is at stake. 
He realizes that they think they're doing really good because they're comparing themselves to everyone else. And yet Jesus came and there's a new standard. And Jesus came and he made the way to salvation. And they they haven't figured it out yet. And he wants them to. It's evangelism. But here's the thing. What about us? Do we know who our them is? Are we praying? Are our hearts bent towards this? Are we concerned about this? Are we passionate about this? Let me ask you this question. Do you think that people in the church, maybe even ourselves, think of ourselves or, or our name, but do you think people in the church don't go out and evangelize because they don't care? Is that why? Because I've often heard that in sermons, like, and if we really cared about people, we would be out telling everybody about Jesus. I honestly don't think that that's true. I don't think that that's true for me, although I, ne- I definitely want to grow in this area. And I doubt that it's true for you. And here's my litmus test that we can, we can figure it out right now. For some of you, it might be true. You might just be totally apathetic about it. But let me ask you this. If you could have a guarantee from God himself, that in the next four hours, every single person that you told the gospel to would receive it and find salvation, how would you spend the next four hours? You would probably be an evangelism fool, right? I mean, Super Bowl what? People's eternity is at stake, right? Well, if that's true, then the issue isn't that we don't care. The issue is that we don't think that we are going to be good at it and we don't think we're going to be effective. Because if we believe that we would be effective, we'd be out there doing it. And so, thankfully, Paul, I think, recognizes that. And the real issue is our lack of confidence in evangelism. And so in this next section, the boldness, the B, the boldness, should be a confidence in the gospel. It's not asking you to have a confidence in yourself. It's not, it's not asking you to have a confidence in your ability to articulate the right answers and, and have all the answers to everybody's questions. It's not asking you to be more uh, outgoing, more, more easy about talking to people about this really challenging topic for some people. He's asking us to believe in the power of the message, not the power of the messenger. So in Romans 10, 4 through 13, he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, 
Because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I know that that's a, that's a mouthful. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of nuanced and very Jewish things in there. But here's, here's what I want you guys to see. That there's three things that Paul is teaching us in this section about how to have confidence in the gospel message. He breaks it down into really three things. And the first one is this, that we believe that Jesus is enough for everyone who believes. That the the gospel works. That Jesus does save. That Jesus can heal our greatest sickness, which is sin. That Jesus can reconcile us to God. The worst of sinners can be reconciled to God and have no shame before God because of Jesus' work on the cross, believing that Jesus is enough for everyone who believes. Now he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. And you can write down, if you want in your notes, Leviticus 18.5, because that's what he quotes when he says, The one who does these things will live by them. He's quoting from the Old Testament. And here's the fact. The fact is that he believes and I believe and the gospel is that everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Now I realize that in our society that that can be offensive. That people think, wait, you think you're right and I'm wrong. That sounds offensive to say, and it sounds exclusive to say that everyone needs Jesus. That there's one, one way to God and it's through Jesus Well, I would always argue like this. If you had a terminal disease, a type of cancer that had no cure, think about how desperate you would be. And then if a doctor found one cure, one cure, and he was willing to give you that cure, and it had been tested with a thousand people, and all a thousand of them got healed. I mean, this was was proven. And he said, and I want to give it to you for free. How many of you guys would be like, you bigot? (laughs) Right? How many of you guys would be like, you intolerant fool? One way? Only one way? I have rights. Right? None of us would be like that. And yet Jesus is like, you have an issue and you're dead spiritually to God. And I'm offering you the one way. It's been proven and it's free. That's why it's good news, you guys. As Christians, we should understand that dynamic. We should believe that dynamic. To say that everyone needs Jesus is not judgmental. To say, I'm better than everyone else who needs Jesus, that's judgmental. I'm no better than anyone else. None of us are any better. We're all in this, this leveling ground where we all need Jesus, and yet Jesus provides the cure It's free. It's good news. And Jesus has completed every requirement of the law because we could not. That's what he's saying. In this passage in Leviticus, he's saying he's the end of righteousness. The word end of righteousness here, it's not not that he abolished it. The end is the completion. He completed the law. He's fulfilled the law. 
He's done what we can't do. We can't fulfill the law and, and, and attain to God's righteousness. So he did that on our behalf. And now he gives us that righteousness as a free gift. That's what we needed. That's what he provided. But that's what we must receive. That's the gospel. And this Leviticus verse is very near and dear to Paul. As a matter of fact, he uses it also in Galatians 3.12. He uses this same analogy two different times in two different letters. Because Paul once thought, Paul once believed that his own righteousness was enough. He used to be a Pharisee. He used to be one of these that he's talking about who had a zeal for, for God and yet was, was, was misdirected. He didn't know the truth, he realizes now. He used to be like this, and so his heart is bleeding for them. Like, look, I used to be like you guys. I used to think that if I just did good enough, somehow I could earn my way to heaven. And he's like, that's not the way to heaven. None of us are able to do that. It's not the road to heaven. All roads don't lead to heaven. Jesus paved one road, and that one road is the only way to heaven. And guess what? He's letting everybody in. He's not exclusive. He's letting everyone who chooses to go on that road through Jesus in. And that's good news. He also says, how is this good news? How is this good news to say that there's only one way and that everyone needs Jesus? He says, because Jesus is accessible to all. That's what he says. He says, but the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, that, uh, what does it say? The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. What he's doing is he's taking a passage they would have been familiar with from Deuteronomy 30, verse 12 and 14, and he's, he's, he's helping them apply it to their own lives. In other words, what he's saying is, if you want to find salvation, you don't need to go search. You don't need to go up to heaven and find him. Why? Because he already came down and found us. And we don't need to go down into the abyss and somehow bring him up because he was already raised from the dead. We don't need... To go to some conference, read some book, find some guru, right? Accomplish some task, go to the highest mountain, go on some spiritual retreat. He's right here. He came to us is what he's saying. We don't need to search for some exclusive club that has the rights to Jesus. Jesus came down to us and became accessible to us so that we could open up a service at, a, at an elementary school and preach the gospel and people can meet Jesus right here. Public preaching. Or, they're not ready to come here. He's sending you to your workplace, to your cubicle, to Starbucks, to, to all the places he's sending you out. And you take that message with you. It's a message that's very accessible and he wants it to be very accessible. And it's not something exclusive. It's something inclusive. And then we see this. The gospel is powerful enough to change hearts and lives. The gospel is powerful enough to change hearts and lives. This is our confidence. 
Now here's an issue. So imagine he was telling all of us to become door-to-door salesmen. Imagine that was the task. It's not. Imagine it was. You are now going to be, we're all going to be door-to-door salesmen. Here's the thing. Otto would be good at that. Otto would be good at that. Some of you guys would be terrible at that, and you know it. But he's not asking us to be door-to-door salesmen. But if you were a door-to-door salesman, there could be some, some nuance to that. Some of you guys would not be really good at selling something you don't believe in. Some of you guys would. You could sell anything. But some of you guys, if you really believed in the essential oils that you were selling, <laughs> you could be a good salesperson because, because you really believed in your product, right? You guys get what I'm going at? What we're saying is, this is for everybody who's a Christian to, to be a, an evangelist, not because you're a great salesperson, but because you have a product that everyone needs and it should sell itself, really. The gospel is the greatest news. The gospel is powerful enough to change hearts and minds. How many of you guys know someone that's a total mess? Point to them right now. Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But here's the, here's the reality. God can change anybody. And nobody doesn't need God to change them. You might be better at putting lipstick on your sin, but we all need this Jesus. Everyone needs this Jesus. And this Jesus can impact any heart, can impact any life, can take anybody, anybody, and make them new, and redirect them, transform their life. And Paul is a product of that. The guy who's saying this many times in the, in the, in the new Testament says, look, I used to be so far off. I was so prideful. I was a, I was a religious, right? Jewish conservative thought I had zeal for God. I was killing Christians because I thought they were wrong. That was Paul. And God changed my life and he could change anyone's life. That's the gospel. He says, this is the message of faith that we proclaim that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have your paper Bible, I want you to do this. I want you to search like an Easter egg hunt, like you're hunting for treasure, and circle all the wills in there. Circle all the wills in there. I'll give you a hint. There's three. What he's saying is, You can be confident of this. There's not a might. There's not a might. There's a will. There's a this will happen because the gospel can make that claim about itself because the gospel is powerful to change anyone's life. It will happen. Anyone who believes will not be put to shame. They will be transformed. They will find salvation. They will. That's 
That's the message we carry, you guys. That's the gospel. That's why in Romans 1, when he's, when he's starting off this letter, Paul goes like this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. We have the most potent, powerful, better even than essential oils, although I'm not knocking essential oils, even though if you come up to me and you got a complaint, I'm just going to tell you to rub some dirt on it. But I think there are some value in essential oils. If you're here, you're essential oils guru. I love you and you're probably right and I'm probably wrong. Um, But here's the thing. You got nothing on Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the greatest product in, in the world. Jesus is the greatest thing that anybody could have. Jesus is the most powerful force on the planet. I don't care what your ailment is. It needs Jesus. Maybe and essential oils. I don't know. But it needs Jesus first. Essential oils without Jesus is not enough. Jesus without essential oils is enough. But you could try those too. That's what I'm saying. So we need to become people who believe in the power of the gospel. Amen? That's the B. That's our boldness. When you say, I'm going to pray for boldness, not in your ability. In the gospel's ability. In your faith in the gospel's ability. Now you might tell people about the gospel and they might reject it. They're rejecting him. Some people will reject it. But they need it. And you offered it to them. And if they reject it, our hearts should still bleed. We shouldn't be like, oh, well, that's fine. That's on you. No, that's where Paul is at. He's like, I've told my people the gospel and they still don't believe because they're trusting in their own righteousness. So my heart is bleeding for them. I'm praying for them. I'm going to keep telling them because this matters. That's a heart of evangelism. That's an attitude of evangelism. And the boldness comes from the gospel, not, not the gospel spreader. But, but number three in your notes is this. There is a commission for us. It's a sense of mission and urgency. There is a commission for us. He says in Romans 10, 14 and, and, and 15, he says, How then can they call on him that they have not believed? Because earlier he said, anybody who calls on him will be saved. So what do they need to do? They need to call on him. They don't need to search for him on the highest mountain. They need to go to heaven and find him. They don't need to go down and bring him up. He's right there available to us. We're preaching it right now. The Holy Spirit's here right now. It's right there in front of you. If you've never been saved, it's right in your lap right now. But you must receive it. And you do that by calling on him. And he says, but how, how can they call on him who they haven't believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So the gospel is powerful. And here's the crazy thing. And God entrusted us to be its messenger. 
God made us the preachers. Not just me preaching from the pulpit, but us in our, in our, in our, in our private witness, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our cubicles. We're the, we're the message spreaders. We're the, we're the ones proclaiming this message, this perfect message. God gives it to imperfect people to spread it. How nuts is that? And yet that's the way it is. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. But the gospel is powerful and entrusted to us. He's given us the mission of spreading it. There's this old story that I used to, I used to tell when I would talk to, uh, uh, about this with, uh, with our youth ministry uh, in evangelism. I didn't make the story up, but I think it's a compelling story. And it's a story that takes place up in Oregon. And I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a great story. And up in Oregon, uh, they have a bunch of rivers. Have you ever been there? And one of the things that is fun to do in Oregon in these rivers is to go intertubing. I don't know if you guys have ever been intertubing, but basically you go on a pretty different levels of wild, but you, you go on the river and you sit in an inner tube and you go down the river and most people drink a lot of beer or whatever, but you could, right? Let's be honest. Um, but that's intertubing. And these, these people are going intertubing, group of them, down a river they had never been to before, they had just heard about. So they're going down this this river, they're intertubing them, and they drink too much. They drink too much beer. I'm not afraid to say it. That's part of the story. It's the truth. They drank too much. And then one of them had to pee. That's what happens. And so he swims off to the side, the river, and he realizes, man, this thing's going fast. And so if I, if I go to the bathroom right here, by the time I'm done, they're going to be gone. So he's smart. He runs down the river, right? Genius. And he goes to the bathroom. Well, while he's going to the bathroom, he starts to hear something. Roaring water. So he runs farther ahead, and he realizes that there's this jagged waterfall coming. And then he realized, that's why no one's here rafting here. That's why no one's entered to me. That's why we're all alone. That's why we picked this secret spot. He sees this waterfall, and he's like, and then he looks back, and he sees his friends coming. And they're having a great time. And he starts yelling, there's a waterfall coming. Get out. His friends are like, yeah, right. I'm serious. There's a waterfall coming ahead. You can't see it right now. There's a waterfall coming ahead. Trust me, I saw it. Get out. Yeah, right. At what point, at what point does this guy stop trying to convince his friends that there's a waterfall ahead and that he's disrupting the fun they think they're having with this truth that they need to hear and they don't want to hear? At what point does he stop caring? At what point does he stop trying to compel them to believe and so here's the, here's the reality. If you have your paper Bible, I want you to circle, underline, or highlight, they are sent. And then in your margins, I want you to write, that's me. It says, they are sent. That's me. How can they believe 
if no one tells them? And how can they tell them unless they're sent? That's the commission. Paul's saying, that's you. That's where you come in. Jesus already did the work on the cross. You're not the Savior. You're the one compelling people. There's a waterfall coming. I know you think you're having fun, but you need to get out. If you have believed the good news yourself, then you are now a messenger of the good news. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are now a disciple-making disciple. Not just me, not just the leadership. All believers, all disciples, are disciple-making disciples. So as we prep for worship, maybe you came today and you need to receive the gospel. Maybe you came today and you need to receive the gospel. Or maybe a long time ago, sometime in your life, you remember receiving the gospel, but then somehow you got off track. And this morning, you're realizing, I need to recommit my heart to Jesus. I want to encourage you to pray. Ask God. Call out to God. And find salvation. It says if you call out to God, He'll wipe away your shame. He will save you. He will receive you. If you want to do that with somebody, we're going to have some people up here praying during worship. Just go up and say, I need Jesus. They'll know what to do. And they'll pray with you. Maybe, maybe someone or many people, as you sit there this morning, are on your heart. And you're like, man, I, they need Jesus so bad. Maybe it's someone super close to you. Maybe it's somebody not as close to you, but just for some reason God's put a weight on your heart for this person. Do what Paul did. Pray. Pray. Start there. Pray that God would give you an attitude for them, for their salvation. Pray that God would give you a boldness to believe that I don't need to be a great gospel salesman. The gospel sells itself, but I need to be the one who presents it to them. And maybe you're feeling compelled by the commission to be a gospel spreader in general. And you're just like, God, I want to make a commitment because you've already commissioned to me. And this morning I'm saying, yes, I want to be the one you send to tell people about Jesus. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.